Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. <laughs> Sorry, I was in the middle of the drink. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to start over? <laughs> Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. And we're back, and we're uh, ready to talk about a new topic today. Just before we get started, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And uh, I know we've had some messages be like, hey, when are you guys recording? Yeah, you know, schedules are really hard. You know, <laughs> yeah. adulting is really hard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, before we kind of get really, really deep into the, the con season, I know Robert's got a lot of cons and, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. You know, we really wanted to put this one out. We're kind of holding on to it for a little bit. And the, the reason I wanted to address it was because I never actually used a lot of the source material in my games because, as you'll see as we go forward, Robert's going to do a little more of the talking today. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, why don't we dive right in? We'll have some, some more little information and announcements at the end uh, about the stuff coming up. So today we are talking about elemental powers, specifically, obviously, the clerics and priests of, of Dark Sun. And why we wanted to do this was, this is a major, major theme of Dark Sun. Definitely. And the reason I said we didn't use this very much was because the book Earth, Air, Fire, and Water, and uh, the commas are on the right, all in the right places for those who use the Oxford comma, this came out a little later in the cycle of production of Dark Sun. I never had it. I never bought this book. I, I purchased it more recently, obviously, from, from DM's Guild. And some of the content in here, we never thought about. So we really want to go into that today. You know, look at the lore, look at the story, and look at some of the mechanics that are used in this. Robert, why don't you start us off? Why are elemental powers so important in Dark Sun? Sure. So, you know, they really wanted to kind of step away from your standard fantasy tropes. And so to do that, they said, well, let's, you know, let's get rid of gods. And so they got rid of gods. And then I think, you know, I could imagine Tim and Troy and Mary, Mary Kirchhoff. Yeah. I can imagine them sitting down talking and being like, okay, we removed the gods, but now in second edition, nobody has a way to heal. So what are we going to do now? And so then they probably, you know, came up with this. That's, that's what I imagine anyway, but maybe it was there from the beginning. I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't asked him that. I'll have to ask him next time I talk to him. So the clerics end up being healers, just like they are in regular second edition. You know, you kind of needed one later editions of D&D and stuff. There's other ways to heal, but uh, clerics, and it's not only clerics that use the elemental magic. It's also druids and templars. They all use elemental magic. And Templars in second edition are kind of like priests of the Sorcerer Kings. And so it kind of made sense to give them cleric magic or elemental magic. And then the Druids, they worship or they they have a pact with a guarded land and uh, an elemental there or a uh, uh, they have a pact with the spirit of land. And so that's how they get their elemental magic. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like when Dark Sun came out, this this concept of no deities is, is very, very different, very, very important. Obviously, we back then was like, you know, Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms, and you had the, you know, the laundry list of, of deities. Don't get me wrong, I think it's kind of cool and kind of fun, but you had a very, very different, that was a very, very different feel because instead of having these religious organizations and these gods and everything like that, you had basically four elemental powers. And obviously, they introduced the ones in between afterwards, mm -hmm. the paramount elementals. Yep. There's also that symmetry 
I know in fourth edition, they were talked about, you know, we got rid of this like necessary symmetry of every element needs to have a monster here or there. (laughs) But in Dark Sun, it was very much a thing where if there's an air something, there's an earth something because that's diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. And that was actually, you know, you you, you wouldn't have a, a water and a fire cleric in the same party because, or you might, but they'd be opposed to each other. And that, that concept was really, really different. I mean, other than having a good and evil deity, those kind of things, but you had these things were almost an uncaring force rather than a living embodiment of a domain or living embodiment of a portfolio. You had these forces in Dark Sun. And mm-hmm. I think I've said this before in the podcast was like, you know what, if you weren't the water cleric, you know, with create water or, you know, that was always a bad thing. It was like, why aren't you playing a water cleric? <laughs> you know, it's interesting that, you know, you talk about how if you, you might not have an earth and a fire cleric together. I always, we always played them. And I guess I would say I always played them because almost none of my players ever played clerics. They always played something else. So I, I usually had to have them as NPCs or whatever. But I, I generally had, you know, once earth, air, fire, and water came out, I guess is when this really happened. It kind of gave gave you some enemies instead of just the other the other elements because yeah I, I think now that i think about it maybe before then they were a little bit more opposed but then once earth air fire and water came out and this is pretty much the book you have to have if you're going to run elemental clerics or the druids as well it's got a lot of details about all of them and, and it's got some stuff about templars too but primarily the clerics but earth air fire and water is by uh shane lacy hensley he also did City by the Silt Sea, and he is probably more well-known for Savage Worlds, which he still runs Pinnacle, Pinnacle Entertainment, and so he's done a lot of great stuff for Dark Sun. But this is the book that really put some details to the Parallelementals, and we'll talk about them later, but they were originally, actually, uh, they originally showed up in uh, Dragon Kings, uh, the second Dark Sun book. And so they expanded them, and they really gave them a more negative kind of connotation Whereas they made the earth, air, fire, and water more like earth is, you know, bountiful earth and fire, even though it's harsh and it destroys things, it also is, you know, the elements of renewal because it destroys things, but then allows things to grow in its place. And so all of these elements kind of, it kind of shined a soft light on all of the other elements or all of the major elements, and then kind of gave the parallel elements the kind of negative, uh, kind of, you know, with the exception of rain, um, sort of the, the negative connotations and they could be sort of your bad guys. And we'll talk about all that later. Mm-hmm. When we get into like, what are the elementals and, and why did they originally show, why did they originally have that sort of hard look? And they really took, you know, I, I figure once they, once they decided that there weren't going to be gods and there were going to be some other sort of way to get clerical magic, they delved into the elements, which have a very like animistic feeling to them, uh, you know, uh, more primal. Yeah. Very primal, uh, spirits within the elements kind of giving it life. And that sort of took on its own life. And I think it fits really, really well into the world. Mm -hmm. You could remove it if you wanted to make it super harsh, you know? And like you said, you know, you guys probably, you never even really use the book. And so I think that kind of stuff can easily be removed from the game if you want, but I think it adds a lot. It gives some level of hope 
in the same way that sometimes like the Vale Alliance, you know, a lot of times they're seen as sort of like the good guys. The clerics are also kind of seen as the good guys, again, because of Earth, Air, Fire, and Water. And before that, they might have just been, they don't really have organizations, so they were just sort of wandering. But going back to kind of the elements themselves. So they are, uh, you know, when it's first introduced, they're very as is. They, you know, they're not necessarily trying to help the world, but they're also not destroying it. They're just sort of existing and people followed them to have power because mm-hmm. in Dark Sun, you know, magic is very rare. Uh, clerical magic er, uh, is unheard of and arcane magic is, you know, mostly defiling. And so having that little bit of extra power would give anybody a, you know, a boost in the world. So let's go back in one second and talk about this. When a cleric worships or the cleric draws power from, from the elements, what does that really mean? So, uh, you know, in the original box set, they don't really talk a whole lot about that. They just sort of, you know, say that, you know, you have this pack and that's about it. Earth, Air, Fire and Water really goes into detail about what those packs mean and how you get them and what they can do. And basically it comes down to like a lot of things, maybe something dramatic happened. Like maybe you're, you know, if you're an, an if you're going to be an Earth cleric, you are the victim of an avalanche or something like that. But instead of dying, you know, you, the, some elemental being of earth some spirit of earth contacts you and pushes you into this pact and you you make a pact with it and you agree you know to kind of follow its tenets and then you have these powers and you know that can be for any of the elements or you know it could be other ways too it could just be that you know you you know you maybe you're uh you have friends or family that were clerics and somehow they you know they induct you into the same thing but regardless when you follow the elements, you know, they don't really care about people. And so they're not particularly going to look out for you. They're just hope, you know, they're just basically betting uh, that you will, you will help them in exchange for some small amount of their power. Mm-hmm. I think there's one point in the book, it says uh, the element powers are neither benevolent or nor malevolent, caring only for their natural forms preserved in the material world. Uh, I, and I copy and copy that out just because mm-hmm. that tells you something about the the power you're serving. And also the second, the second part, you remember the, the pact. Mm-hmm. I never saw it that way. Like, obviously I've, like I said, I, I've read this in preparation uh, for this episode and I never saw it as that, that sense. And, and I guess almost in a sense, that is what a cleric does. And it kind of makes a, makes an agreement or it gains power from this deity, but um, they talk specifically about the pact, making it almost sound like a warlock um, in, right. in, you know, fifth edition terms, you know, we're making a pact to this unknown source of energy or, or whatnot to draw power on. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's not a warlock because then you really don't have that healing magic again, but you know, we'll get into, we can talk about that later on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it's interesting because, you know, when you look at the you look at the the novels and the books and and whatnot, these clerics end up taking on traits, like personality traits. Like you always expect the earth cleric or the water cleric or the fire cleric to be a specific way, like a personality trait. Mm-hmm. And I guess in fifth edition, that's very easy. It'd be like a flaw or an ideal would kind of yeah. get yeah. dumped onto you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that we we like adding those flaws on and, and whatnot. So if these elemental powers, whatever they are, these elemental lords they talk about them in earth air and fire and water mm-hmm. what does that do to the cleric now like obviously other than just the power what is what does the cleric look like so clerics look very similar to their counterparts they can still turn undead they can also turn para elementals and elementals though as well so like their opposite 
you know, fire can turn air or uh, water and whatnot. So that kind of gives it its own twist. Uh, but they can also uh, do things like uh, they can gate in their element and they have different access to spells. So in Dark Sun, one of the big things they changed was the spheres of spells. So they, they broke down things into the four elements as well as spells that didn't fit into those elements specifically became the sphere of cosmos and clerics had major access to cosmos and then, or sorry, minor access to cosmos and then major access to their own sphere. And that gave them a different, it gave each cleric a different feeling because they had different spells. Mm-hmm. They then in in third edition, what we did was we you know that's when the kind of the idea of domains first came along, and so we really broke out the domains and made them for like specific elemental lords. Um, and the elemental lords were named; they weren't given names like uh, like gods, but they were given kind of names that sort of uh, evoked an aspect of of fire. So you might have. Um, mm-hmm. Or, or sorry, an aspect of uh, of the elements. So you might, if for fire, you might have like a spouting flame or a flaming tornado or something like that. There was just so many different domains. Like there were there were probably I don't know fifty of them that that we made up, and probably more. <laughs> I can't even remember. But um, there were all these different domains, and that gave you you know specialized spells to make your characters even more different from you know other clerics of the same element. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever way you play that. Um, obviously, we, we've we only really played. Oh no, I think we played third edition. But the point of that, I, I think, for anybody who's kind of listening here, the point of that was to make these clerics different. You know, going from spheres to domains, which essentially was maybe not mechanically, but the the thought process was was that you were creating a different spell lists because um, mm-hmm. obviously clerics are very much defined by their spell lists to create a different spell list to create a different way that these clerics would approach different things. I mean, you would have access to different, very, very different spells. And I was ta- like, I was talking about earlier, like the create water or like the ability to, to like find water was way different than the fire clerics ability to basically make attacks. I mean, that's really what you're looking at. And for those who are a little more only familiar with, let's say fifth edition, clerics now have domains, right? You know, you have the entire cleric spell list, but you have these specialized powers or specialized spells that you you would you would know. Mm-hmm. And that really made, you know, mechanically, that made clerics feel different from each other. Yeah, and with 5th edition, you know, well, actually with 4th, they made Templars warlocks, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I think it really worked for 5th edition as well to make them warlocks. And like you said, it's difficult because clerics uh, or uh, yeah, elemental clerics have classically been healers and you know warlocks are definitely not healers in general. However, the celestial warlock gives us a warlock that can heal by kind of swapping out some of their spells. So, uh when when that was first being play tested in um in Unearthed Arcana, uh you know, I grabbed that and that's basically what I use for my home games is the celestial warlock just kind of tweaked a little bit more to make them more appropriate for my games. One of the things they do is they have like radiant damage, which we just change to the elemental damage. So it can work really well. Uh, But I also had a cleric that was an actual cleric that we just reflavored, chose some domains that fit and used as a cleric. So I think there's a lot of room 
to use both the cleric and the warlock in fifth edition if you would like to model the old uh, the old clerics but you know update them maybe to to sort of the packed idea uh, if you want to do warlocks as well so it gives a player sort of another choice if they still want to play this type of character they have almost you know two different archetypes to go with and i think that packed thing after reading uh, reading the book that's a really really important thing where you said maybe, oh, you were buried or buried alive or you were on fire or you were drowning. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you drowned in Dark Sun, but... <laughs> You're dying of, of thirst is more like it. But dying of thirst, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were falling. <laughs> but yeah, those those things are... I feel like that's something to really play up. Uh, and it's something that, that the book actually did focus much a, a, a lot on, mm-hmm. just to say your, your bond, just like anything in Dark Sun, your bond with your elemental deity, elemental power was not born of, you know, I had a nice summery day and <laughs> right. they came to me. It was, you know, I'm dying. Uh, I need power and I will give my, you know, my everlasting devotion to this in order to get, you know, get me out of this, right. you know, give me that feather fall spell right now <laughs> so right. that I can, you know, I can, I can get out of this falling situation sort of thing. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, Remember, we're not trying to say, you know, 5th edition is going to immediately map perfectly to 2nd edition. 2nd edition was 2nd edition. It's not going to do that. So when you're doing that adaptation, you know, you don't have to take our advice. You can make them Celeste. Uh, what's that sor- What's that 5th edition sorcerer from Xanathar's? The one that yeah, gets the celestial one? cleric spells. Yeah. The is this celestial? celestial? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that you can make them that sorcerer instead, you know. But the, the flavor that we're trying to to impose, what not impose, but to to encourage is really have that division of elements, and to make them different from each other. You know, make those clerics really different from each other. Make their powers really different from each other. Just like when you go and make a cleric in fifth edition, and you pick a domain that makes you a different cleric than the next guy over there mm-hmm. or the next girl over there, right? <laughs> so one of the the major, I think, one of the things that we always kind of played up was what is the well, the first thing is, what is the difference between a cleric and the druid? The biggest things are, are going to be the, you know, their spell selection. So the druids, uh, you know, we'll talk about them when we get to the druids, but they get major access to the cosmos and then any kind of element that happens to be in their, in their guarded lands. So, so they definitely have more spells than the clerics. And one of the things that Earth, Air, and Fire, and Water brought was additional powers, so you could choose some more powers. Again, you know, just, you know, like we were talking about differentiating clerics from each other, you know, you can choose different powers to have. So even two of the same cleric will have different uh, abilities. And so those kind of things change, obviously, with the druid. Druids get get some other stuff, which we'll talk about later um, once we get to the druid section. But um, as clerics advance in Dark Zone, one of the big things that Dark Zone was known for was having characters over 20th level. Uh, and originally the world was called war world. And that was the idea was that there was kind of constantly going to be a war going on between these different city states. And in order to do that, they, you know, they put out uh, the dragon Kings book, which is the first actual book, uh, but the second Mm -hmm. product for dark sun and in dragon Kings, they had what happens when your characters go above 20th level. And Mm -hmm. for, you know, wizards, you became a, uh, you know, if you were to take a wizards and you combine it with psionics, which is a major aspect of, of Dark Sun, then you become mm-hmm. either an Evangian, which is the good one, or you become a dragon. And for warriors, you got, you know, a bunch of armies and uh, 
siege vehicles and war vehicles. And for priests, what priests got was to transform and clerics were able to transform into, into their element. Um, now they didn't have to, they could just keep on being a cleric and get up to like 30th level or whatever. But if they wanted to, they could start studying psionics and actually turn into an elemental and basically, mm-hmm. you know, more or less become like a living manifestation or avatar of their elemental Lord or whatever. And that book also brought in parallel elementals. And that's where in Dragon Kings, the elemental, the parallel elementals were ooze, smoke, magma, and ice. And, you know, ice and ooze kind of really didn't fit in too well. Um, and that was mm-hmm. one of the things that Shane kind of changed in Earth, Air, Fire, and Water. Uh, he kind of changed the para-elementals into silt, sun, magma, and rain. Yep. And so that's where, uh, like I was saying, that, you know, that really gave gave you sort of an enemy. So you ha- now had silt elementals, uh, you had sun elementals, magma elementals, and those are the things that were, you know, destroying. And that's what what the, what the elementals were really fighting against. So you gave them yep. another enemy instead of just the sorcerer kings to fight against. Now there were, you know, other priests and there were elementals of these other para-elements to, to fight against. The one exception is rain and rain was, you know, sort of a good thing. And so rain is not really, you know, they're sort of like the good pair elemental. And the the least found, I mean, yeah. you're, you're not going to see those. Right. <laughs> and and obviously with, with those, par- with those pair elementals came the pair elemental, you know, drakes and, and everything, you know, cause we had that mm-hmm. symmetry is like, if you created, if you had a, a silt creature here, you would have to have the opposite. So the, you know, that like you're talking about, that's, you know, one of the things that they they added that was cool, um, and I thought that was really sort of unique to Dark Sun was monsters that were heavily tied to to the elements. So they had elemental beasts, and basically you could have any kind of regular monster, regular animal, regular beast, and you could just add some flavoring of whatever you know, silt, sun, magma, earth, water, whatever, and so it sort of became a magical beast. So it was a cool way to add a bunch of monsters basically um, that you could always pull in and it was easy to justify, you know, if they are in some place that's uh, obviously, you know, the silt sea, there could be silt sharks or anything, you know, anything Mm -hmm. you can think of, it gave you a good reason to put some cool monsters in. And one of the things that, well, I don't think we ever had at that time was just this idea of a template, right? Yeah. And just to create, be like, if you want to create something, you can throw this template on. Because it would make sense. It would make sense in this world that there was something that was more elementally based. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, these days, obviously, you can create a template like that. And, you know, if you are playing Dark Sun, I, I would recommend actually having something like that. Just like a, a half dragon or, or whatever template. Right. You know, have something for an elemental template. Yeah, that would be, you know, it'd be pretty easy. You know, it'd just be like, well, if it's, you know, low CR, maybe it has resistance or you know, resistance to its element. If it's higher CR, obviously it's going to have uh, complete immunity. And then damage is just going to be an additional, you know, an additional 1D6 maybe of uh, of its type. Or mm-hmm. or if it's a higher one, maybe all of its damage is of, uh, of that type. Yeah. And you could, you know, obviously those things are from another another plane of existence. So they're really susceptible to, to, you know, banishment being banished permanently mm-hmm. and some other things that, uh, you know, that elements, you know, look up, look up, uh, elementals and kind of see what they have. And maybe you could, you can kind of transfer some of those traits over to elemental beasts. 
Yeah. Actually, a, a, a good example in fifth edition is you can look at genies. Genies have those four, you know, still has the four elements, yeah. but broken down in a very, very different way. So having a creature that is based in elemental magic and, and whatnot, but not specifically a earth elemental or a fire elemental. Mm-hmm. And they feel very different. They like they play pretty differently. Plus they all fly, which is always interesting, but they play very differently. They have um, you know, they have different attack names. Just something like that would be a good idea. And obviously the elementals are an idea. And uh you can always look at uh future books as well. Um Mordekainen's Tome of Foes is coming out and yep. um there might be something in there that that we'll see and that would be pretty interesting as well. For sure. So you were talking about druids a little bit. Right. Why don't you give us a little rundown about druids? So the major thing about druids, I, I'm, you know, obviously in second edition, there was only two classes that would heal uh, and you would generally be, you know, you'd generally be a cleric, but druids had some ability to heal, but druids were never a class that we played much. But then all of a sudden you got these druids and instead of being, oh, you're tied to a deity, now you have, you have the ability to have access to all the elements. And the concept of a druid became very, very different because these were the people who were preserving what was left of what was left of Athos, whatever was left of the planet Mm -hmm. um, in these little pockets, these little guarded lands. And you got your power, not from the elemental lords or elemental powers. You got it from the spirit of the land. And for those who have played, you know, fourth and fifth edition, where we talk, where you know the druids are powered by a fourth edition was was primal, and you know fifth edition you have the spirit. I think it it really felt like it came from this because before you you were like, yeah, there's druids get their powers, you know, their clerical, you know, divine powers. Now you have a definition of there is a spirit of the land somewhere mm-hmm. here, and that's what's powering you. You have something that you're here to protect, like your classes pretty literally all about protecting this piece of land or this area and trying to preserve it from defilers and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that made it completely different from almost the, even though the clerics weren't meant to be destructive, but almost like the clerics were like, yeah, my, my powers come from everywhere. And, you know, my fire deity is all over the place sort of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it being so tied to a guarded land sort of, makes it so like, okay, well, why are you an adventurer then? And the way they sort of solved that was by basically saying that druids had a time of wandering where they could go go out and explore the world and learn about the rest of the world. And that sort of gave you a reason, if you were a druid player character, to, to be out and about. And uh, like you said, they, you know, druids were able to do a lot of stuff like in their, in their guarded lands, but when it came down to it, their big thing really was was spells. They had major access to the cosmosphere and then any elemental kind of aspects that were in their guarded lands. So if they had like a waterfall and a big mountain, then they could, you know, have water and earth. So it was really up to the player character or for the player to determine what they wanted to get out of, you know, wh- what kind of spells they wanted. And that's a that's a major power, obviously, because major ac- access to cosmos was was huge. But now to say I have access to, well, if you could justify it, all four. But generally, you had like another right. two spheres yeah. uh, of power that you, you had. Like usually, it was water and something else. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have this giant waterfall, and it's like, oh, it's water and air, or yeah, you have a mountain, but there's a stream through it. Yeah, <laughs> then you have water and earth. You know, one of the things they did in Dark Sun to, to sort of 
reduce the the sort of you know obviously if you're going to want to create water you know water's rare so if you go by the the player's handbook spells you're going to get a bunch of water and they kind of nerfed a lot of that stuff in the back of the the main dark sun book for example for create water it only produced half a half a gallon of water per level of the caster you know so it kind of made it so water was still still valuable so if you had you know if you had a cleric or a druid it wasn't just completely nerfing the the aspect of survival for dark sun yeah it just made it harder yeah yeah but yeah i mean druids obviously in in dark sun and in from normal are, are obviously very different and they played very different but again i think the guarded land thing was was sort of the most important aspect because that's something that the dm both the player and the dm could play up and they could describe and this was it was almost like having a home base for a druid mm-hmm. where no other character would get would get that right but there's also a immediate responsibility an immediate mm-hmm. uh response from 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 the characters in the dm so some dms would threaten it or some dms would put conditions or, or duties like just like the cleric had the duty to their elemental power the druid has a duty to the guarded land i mean you can go around wandering all you want but you're eventually going to return there yeah and you know once if druids were in their guarded land they got a bunch of stuff like they could basically be invisible they could speak with animals and plants they can live without water or nourishment and so those were kind of the big things but once they got above 10th level they could also shape change into creatures that were kind of native to to his guarded land so even though you know those are powerful they're also only limited to their guard lands so really spells were the big things that that kind of druids had in dark sun so do we want to move on to templars then yeah we've talked about templars before obviously robert and i kind of both agree on on the the definition of them being more warlocks than clerics but they were still manipulators of element magic as in second edition you still went from the cleric spell list and you know you even though your the the being you worshipped was the sorcerer king, not an actual deity, but they still provided these powers. But uh, like like we said, you know that always that was always felt a little. I guess maybe it felt a little forced. Yeah. But also the other thing is Templars, at least in the very beginning, Templars never felt like there was a connection to the elements, other than the fact that it was saying all clerical power is, is elemental. So that's what it was sort of thing. Right. I think, you know, I always try to go back and wonder like, well, what, what made this come about? And, you know, the Sorcerer King sort of needed, needed a, a powerful army and um, Templars let them do that. But also like in, in second edition, the way it worked was, you know, they, they had um, this insignia that came from their sorcerer king that let them kind of cast magic through them. And so they weren't so much like clerics is that in that they were just like channelers basically. And, and like a sorcerer king could turn off their insignia and they would not be able to cast magic. And so that kind of made them very weak in that way that if they ever lost that, then they were sort of screwed. But they sort of changed that in fourth edition and they changed that because for that exact reason, they made Templars warlocks and they basically said like, you're inscribed with this magical power through some arcane ritual. And then you can always cast those spells. So even if you were thrown out 
um, and like no longer a Templar of your Sorcerer King in fourth edition, you could still have your spells. Basically, it was a way to to not make it so much like basically GM fiat, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, we we've talked about Templars a little bit before, but basically, you know, they are these the priests of their cities. They often you know, it was never exactly clear. Like, is every soldier a Templar? Probably not. But I always like to have even sort of relatively low level, effectively, um, soldiers have some Templar magic. Maybe they're first level mm-hmm. Templars and then still have like some other fighter levels or whatever. It made you kind of be able to buff up kind of city guards a little bit. Right. Templars you know, we're kind of talking about elemental magic. So, you know, we're going to go into that, you know, Templars have ceremonial and secular powers. And those were probably most used, uh, obviously spells are used, but um, like I had a character, a player that was uh, playing a Templar and they were, they used their secular powers a lot um, because mm-hmm. it allowed them to do things in a city. Uh, well, into in their city anyways, everywhere else they were, they were sort of hidden kind of like the the druid the druid you know if they're not in their city they're they're not as powerful yeah but even if they're not in their city they still get their spells and their spells were big they they had major access to cosmos and all of the elemental um spheres so they had a ton of spells in addition to their spells they also had the ability to command undead so that was another thing that kind of automatically put uh, templars you know on the shit list of most players <laughs> because they were you know they were commanding undead um a lot of sorcerer kings use undead armies and so that that was always um a good thing good thing to do you can easily you know throw some zombies and skeletons in with the templars and uh mix it up yeah <laughs> yeah like like I said, we we have talked about uh, about Templars before. We don't want to kind of belabor the point, but kind of getting back to the the elemental side is that yeah, the, that major access to basically well all spells was was, was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Their major cast like Templars in, in second edition were major casters. You had access to everything. You you had all the spells that you ever wanted, but just nobody played them because they were just kind of traditionally the enemy mm-hmm. and. Like and same as druids, why were you leaving that city, or how would you remove some of that power if you played in the same city that, or you you started gaming in the same city that that templar has the power in, a uh, secular power in? Yeah, I I actually had druids were the thing that I never had. I never had. I don't think I ever had a druid player character. You know, back in the day, I've, I have one had one recently in my dark sun game, but uh, I've actually had two templars in in literally my first. Maybe not my first game, but one of my very early games, I had a player who played a Templar of Draj, and he was basically like we never played in Draj, or occasionally we did, but he was primarily looking for something. So like his Templar, you know, or his uh, Sorcerer King sent him off on you know mission to kind of scout out other cities and 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 do things. So he was like always undercover, and eventually you know the other players found out that he was a Templar. But uh, they were inscrupulous enough that they didn't really care. <laughs> so that worked well. And then the other campaign, my fourth edition campaign, uh, I had a, a Templar warlock, but she was also a scion or an ardent back in fourth edition. Um, so she was a multi-class character, but they were in the city of the Templar. So she had a lot of power. She definitely drove a lot of the action in the city because she did have power and she also had access to you know, secrets of the city and stuff like that. So it can be done. You just have to, you know, like any sort of evil character or innately evil thing, you sort of have to 
just play play nicely with it and make sure your the other characters sort of understand and the other players make you know make characters that will go along with the templar Mm -hmm. i guess sort of like as to kind of wind down this topic is just the elemental magic in general i mean clerics are powerful clerics have a lot of uh, have a lot of abilities but one of the things that the book uh, earth air fire and water emphasized was the fact that the elements are dying. Well, maybe not dying, but the elements are not as powerful as they should be. Mm-hmm. There's no life left in Athens. It's being blasted away by defiling magic, by the Sorcerer Kings. And even though you can light a torch, the sense that you get is that that, that torch, that fire does not have enough life to, to consume and to burn to actually create what it should be. Right. And I don't know how... It, that was a very difficult concept for me to understand until I kind of thought about it. I said, there's no life, there's no, there's nothing for the elementals, like they're losing their hold on this world. If you believe in Dark Sun that the entire world is made of these four elements, mm-hmm. some of the element, the other elements have, have way too much power. Like the, the para elements have too much power and there's no, there's nothing left. And these clerics who wield this elemental power, they're trying to preserve create if possible, but preserve as much of this life that they can. And I remember reading, you know, even though that they are not specifically, you know, hunted by the sorcerer kings, not like like wizards are, they're still at odds because those are the major defilers. Those are the people that are destroying the world and destroying the life that's left in the elements um, that they're worshiping. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that actually just reminded me of something is, uh, you know, Sorcerer Kings really hunt druids. Like that's a major, it's about to be a major part of my fifth edition game. I'm running a game that's set in the Brown Age. So it's set about, what is it? 1500, no, 1700 years, basically in the past of quote unquote current Dark Sun. And during that time, there are still a lot of druids around, but something happens and they uh, start what is called the eradication where the Sorcerer Kings kind of go after the Druids and basically wipe them out. And I think I have some cool ideas for that. I I don't want to spoil it in case any of my players are listening, but in the game, the players just got to a place called Lake Pit, which is in the Dragon's Bowl. Um, And in there, they basically found what amounts to basically a Druid army, and they're sort of getting involved in uh, in all of that. So that'll be interesting. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's a point that's been kind of talked about in a bunch of books, just, you know, offhand, you know, just mention of the eradication, but they don't really talk about what it was or why it happened. So that's kind of the story we're, we're about to tell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lots and lots of stories, lots of things to do with elemental magic. I mean... <laughs> And it's it's strange because, like I said, I, I had never read this book while I was running Second Edition Dark Sun. When I was playing Second Edition Dark Sun, I don't play a lot of clerics in general as it is. So to see this and to read through it was really really interesting. This should have been in the core book. Obviously, it wasn't written. It wasn't prepared for the core book, uh, the core rules. But a lot of interesting stuff. Like this is the background material that really some people should know, and definitely recommended by. It's it's a really actually a really really good book. Yeah yeah yeah. So. I don't know. We've we've gone on mostly about this book. I I know there's some stuff in in the box sets, but there's additional spells. I mean, more spells for you, right? It's always a good thing. <laughs> right. You know, one thing we didn't touch on that I'm just looking at here is fourth edition, and and the reason we didn't really touch on it is because in fourth edition, they really downplayed clerics for 
a couple of reasons. One, they just kind of said there are no clerics in Dark Sun, so you couldn't play a cleric. The way they sort of still added them was one of the great things that 4th edition Dark Sun did was they added themes to Dark Sun, or themes to 4th edition. And themes were like an additional layer that you could add onto your character that were backgrounds nowadays are sort of the evolution of themes. But what themes allowed you to do was to kind of create, take this theme and you could swap out some of your powers that you got from your class in exchange for ones that you'd get for your theme. So your theme could more heavily influence your, your character. And it, it was great for Dark Sun because one of the things with Dark Sun is like, the, you know, the first thing is like gladiator. Like gladiators are really difficult to do. Like, do you make them their own class like they were in second edition? Are they just some sort of fighter or whatever? And what happens when your thief gets thrown into the gladiatorial arenas? Does, how does he, does he become a gladiator class? You know, what happens there? So this allowed you to create a character of any class with this theme. And so what they did is they made an elemental priest theme. Now that was still very weak as far as flavor. So I feel like clerics got downplayed quite a bit. And one of the reasons I think they did that was because they sort of changed a little bit of the the conceit of the Dark Sun world or they added to it, I guess. Um, it doesn't really change anything. Uh, it just sort of changes the viewpoint. And what that is, is in 4th edition, one of the ideas they had, just in 4th edition D&D in general, uh, was the ideas of these primordials. And primordials mm-hmm. were sort of these titans and things that the gods beat a long time ago in the Dawn War. And they were these horrific things that were sort of pushed, you know, and locked away in kind of regular D and D they're kind of locked away mm-hmm. while the gods ruled over the world. Well, one of the conceits of dark sun fourth edition was that the primordials won and the gods were locked away. Yeah. And so no the primordials are the, that's where you get your elemental magic from and stuff. Yeah. So that's where the elements come from. So, so they were automatically sort of the evil, you know, <laughs> one of the evils. And so it kind of put things at odds, I think. And so I think that's why they sort of tried to downplay the, the priests mm-hmm. a bit. Well, also if there's no, the, you know, in fourth edition, it was very, very focused on power source, right? So you had your arcane, your divine, no gods, no divine yeah. power source, right? No clerics. Right. Right. So, uh, so that also, that's, uh, you know, and no paladins as yep, well. Paladins. And that also brings, uh, you know, uh, brings up another thing that we did in second edition. And that is, you know, people were talking about, you know, there's no paladins in Dark Sun. But once the idea of sort of an elemental warrior kind of came about, you know, like what happens when you take elemental clerics and you take them to the next level of martial ability? then you could have an elemental paladin. And so we, uh, you know, we created a bunch of that stuff back in second edition. And I think, you know, with some more tweaking, you could convert paladins in fifth edition to uh, this sort of elemental paladin, you know, just make an oath, an oath of fire, an oath of, of, of earth or whatever. Um, I think there's some room for that. I don't think I've seen that done, but I think, I think there's room for someone to do that. I guess we're all waiting for the ability to do something in Dark Sun <laughs> until it goes up with the DMs <laughs> Guild, but yeah. Yeah, hopefully that'll uh, that'll come out one of these days and uh, and then we can put all our own stuff on the uh, on the DMs Guild. That'd be awesome. Pretty much, pretty much. Well, that pretty much wraps up our topic. Um, before we sign off, uh, Robert, if people want to reach you on the internet or talk to you or pick your brain, especially about Dark Sun, what's the best way to get hold of you? Sure. So yeah, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Um, on Twitter, I'm Radu76. That's R-A-D-D-U-76. 
Uh, I run a Dark Sun 5th edition game on my Patreon page. Uh, you can find me at patreon.com slash Robert Aducci. I'm on athos.org, uh, the forums there, the Dark Sun, any of the Dark Sun groups on Facebook. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, so if you want to, uh, you know, I've got another spot open up right now in my Dark Sun game. We play once a month and uh, we play on Fantasy Grounds on Mondays. So come check that out if you want to uh, to play some Dark Sun and uh, participate in uh, the Brown Age. And we'll have a link in the show notes uh, for that. If you want to reach me, I'm on Facebook mostly and a little bit on Twitter. I've parred down my my social media uh, stuff a little bit, uh, work and and life and playing with my daughter has kind of taken over most of my my online time. Mm-hmm. But um, if you are interested in seeing us, Robert, I know you've got a lot of cons coming up. What's a couple of the major ones? I've got a bunch of cons for my new job, but that's not D&D related. But I'll be at all like Gen Con and all of the PAXs mm-hmm. uh, for, my new, for my new job at Direwolf Digital. Cool, cool. But that's it. We're going to sign off today. Thank you so much for listening. We're not too sure what our next episode is, but stay tuned. Like I said, we're still trying to get that schedule down. Uh, <laughs> we'll figure it out eventually. But thanks for for sticking with us, guys. We love doing this. We we love talking Dark Sun with you guys, and uh, we're going to keep doing it as long as you keep listening. So from all of us here, thanks very much. Have a good night. Thanks. Have a good night. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.